What up, HyperChange? Welcome to HyperChat number 14. Today, we're talking about the FUV fun utility vehicle. Um, I have the CEO and founder of Arkimoto, uh, Mark Fronmeyer, on the podcast, longtime friend of HyperChange. Uh, thank you so much for joining. What up, HyperChange? Gally, great to be on the show again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so always awesome to talk to you. So a uh, little bit of history. I'm, I'm an Arkimoto shareholder, been a shareholder for about six months now. Uh, went and visited you guys, saw the production facility. Um, you guys were sort of beginning the tooling phases, getting everything ready for production. And now fast forward six months, you guys have began production of the FUV. You're actually in the Behold, the behold. Um, yeah. We, we have the, the production line fully up and running. Uh, we, we just, we got through all of our hurdles in terms of testing and compliance. Uh, and we are now actually building and delivering fun utility vehicles for the first time in the 12 year history of the company. Congratulations. Well, thank you. So for those who don't know, maybe you could give us a little bit of background on the company and, you know, what you guys, what your vision was and how you brought that to market. Yeah. So, so the basic, I mean, the, the idea of Arkimoto really comes from the disconnect between cars and how we use cars. So cars carry five to seven people, hundreds of miles at a time. How we use cars, typically by ourselves, sometimes with one other person, uh, and a relatively small amount of stuff going a relatively short distance. The average American drives about 33 miles a day. And so that disconnect creates this huge amount of inefficiency in our cities, in terms of fuel economy, emissions, uh, all stuff that we really need to work on right now. And so Arkhamoto is not really about changing your behavior patterns. It's about building the right tool for the job of everyday driving. So it's, it, the, the vehicle we're building is all electric. Uh, seats two passengers very comfortably, yet fits in the size of uh, a large touring motorcycle. So uh, three wheels on the ground, uh, it parks three to a space, two wheels in front, one wheel in back, uh, dual motor, front wheel drive, really, really fun and engaging drive experience. So the, the, base, the, the base experience is semi-enclosed. You can kind of think of it as like the, uh, a crossover between a motorcycle and a Jeep. And then like a Jeep or an ATV, you can put on half doors, you can put on full doors, you can add a golf club rack or a surfboard rack. Or really, uh, if you think about it, it's like if, if, the, if the car is sort of the Swiss army knife, the, the one thing that does everything, then the, the, the FUV is more of a, a precision tool that you get to tune to, the need, to your particular needs as a daily driver. And I can testify that I've driven one and they're so, so fun to drive. So they definitely come through on like the, the fun factor. I love that. And so I, I also really want to commend you guys because one reason I'm so fascinated by Arkimoto is you have a very bold creative design of like this, is, like we're going to rethink from scratch what the best, most efficient uh, vehicle is to get us from A to B, not just do this four wheel car thing because everybody uses it. So I love the kind of like bold creativity there. And I'm wondering if you could give us a little more context on how you actually settled on this. It's technically like a motorcycle, you know, you drive it with the handlebars. How did you guys settle on this form factor? Well, well I think, I think part of it is that, that I, I didn't come from the vehicle business. I came from the video game business and in the video game business, it's, it's, it is natural to make crazy different sorts of vehicles and experiences and so on. And so when we, we weren't as constrained by uh, sort of, if, if you think of, if you're, a, if you're a car designer and you get a chance to go do your own program, you've probably been enculturated into the automotive world for a 30 year career. You're gonna think of it as a car problem. I mean, same thing as if you're a motorcycle developer and you finally get your own project, uh, you're gonna think of the, the problem as a motorcycle problem. We looked at it as a, a daily mobility problem. And so what, 
what we were trying to figure out is, you know, one is what are all of the actual requirements for the everyday driver? Like what do people actually really need? And then how, how could we deliver that in a way uh, that was incredibly efficient and, and, and efficient with materials, efficient with energy. Um, I was shooting for something. I, I knew it needed to be under 1,400 pounds. Uh, our, our first generation eight prototype, you know, and this was really to the, to the development cycle of the, of, the, uh, of the whole project of Arkimoto was we went through eight iterations and as we added more capabilities, the vehicle got heavier and heavier and heavier. And then it really took a lot of work to figure out how to make it uh, much lighter uh, and still, still check all those boxes. Um, and, and part of that was, again, it was, it was thinking of the, the ultimate change that really was a major win for us uh, was, was switching from a steering wheel to handlebar controls because that, that was sort of a domino effect throughout the vehicle architecture. It changed how we carried the battery, it changed how we mounted the seats, um, and ultimately shaved hundreds and hundreds of pounds off of the vehicle. The experiences, um, I heard you say this once in another interview, like you're outside sort of, or like you're connected to nature. Like you feel like you're in the world, not like enclosed in this bubble. And you're kind of like, it's like an adventure. Um, and I personally like, am really scared of driving scooters. Like I got into a scooter crash a long time ago and like, they kind of freaked me out. I used to have one, but like, but for some reason, the Arkimoto makes me feel a lot safer and more comfortable. So I think that's why it's interesting to me because I think a lot of the motorcycle market's big, but it's still a niche. And I think you guys are helping to bridge that gap of and bringing the, some of the efficiency of that to more the, the mainstream. And on that on that note, the you know I love Tesla. Um, obviously, shareholder love what they're doing, but you guys have them be in a key stat, which I think is really interesting, which is the MPGE miles per gallon equivalent essentially the apples to apples comparison across the auto industry. And I'll even put up a chart right now. You guys are at about 174 city miles. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but model three at 140, we're looking at a Prius around 60, Ford F-150 around 22. I mean, so if you're just a single passenger car, like in terms of energy utilization, this is like the most uh, efficient thing or way more efficient than any car on the road, even the, the best electric car. Right. Well, and, and I would say also, by the way, we are all here, huge fans of Tesla. Um, my, my mom and I share a Tesla Model 3 for long distance trips. Uh, a, a few of the company drive Teslas. They make a phenomenal car. Um, and I think that to me, the driveway of the future has, you know, a, a Tesla for the, the family trips and then an Arkimoto for the solo trips. So, uh, but, but to that point, it's, you know, you, you can spend uh, just, you know, a ton, a ton, I mean, years and years and years of R&D, and they have just optimized, optimized, optimized that electric drivetrain uh, to, to just a phenomenal level for an automobile. But you cut out thousands of pounds of weight, and you just, you, you can't make that up in technology. Another interesting thing about your form factor is it enables a, a lot of unique new use cases that I'd never thought of. So uh, the rapid responder, I think, is a really interesting use case of at first I was like, OK, it's an Arkimoto for uh, like a fire department. Like, what's the big deal here? Then you actually think about, OK, so these fire departments from a small city, am I going to buy a truck for like 100 grand? or 50 grand or whatever. And then that truck has to drive through the streets. It's huge. It can't get there. I'm, I'm, I heard you talking about this in another interview too. I'm in New York city. Like I literally on second app, you'll probably hear sirens in this interview in the background and they're honking and they can't get anywhere. So not only from a cost perspective to have another vehicle to deploy up everything, but the actual ease of getting there is really interesting. Um, and could really, yep. like, I think the economic case for a fire department to buy this is, is really, really strong. It was actually in New York City where the idea for the rapid responder was born. We, uh, I, I was 
having a dinner with a colleague and a guy overheard us talking about electric vehicles from the next table. He was actually the founder of AmbuCycle uh, that does ambulance motorcycles in, in Israel. And he just said, you know, this, you can get vehicles across town much faster, get to an accident much more quickly. Um, and we, ju we just said, well, hey, you know, this platform would be really good for that same sort of thing where you can, you can cross town faster. It helps fleets, city fleets hit their fuel economy goals. Um, because when you measure fire trucks in terms of gallons per mile, that's a really hard thing to, to get down, to, to meet a, a fleet-wide fuel economy goal. Uh, so it, it saves money, it saves emissions, and then actually has the potential to bring first responders uh, to life-saving situations more quickly, uh, which, which may, certainly makes us feel good. And I think that is, you know, the, it, it, it is on, on one level, it is just an FUV with, you know, literally the bells and whistles. Um, but, but ultimately it says it, this, this platform is about targeting a bunch of different parts of the everyday driving world whether it's campus security or last mile delivery and delivering a, a much more efficient solution for those particular jobs. Amazing segue into the thing I want to talk about next, which is this is like, uh, you know, I, I love the, the potential and vision of Arkimoto, but one thing that I'm always having trouble wrapping my head around or analyzing is what's the addressable market? What's the TAM here? Uh, you know, should I think about it in terms of golf carts sold or like vacation rental, you know, ATVs sold, but then we also have this rapid responder, which is like an entirely new market segment. So I'm curious, just how do you personally think about the, the, the size of the addressable market for this uh, form factor? Let's just look at a few different pieces. 70, about 75% of commuters drive alone. So that's a market of 75% of, of the commuting public that really should be on something on this platform or something close to it. 85% of rideshare, one passenger. So 85% of rideshare trips should be on a much more efficient vehicle platform. Then you have last mile delivery. And so delivery, food delivery is expected to grow from a $30 billion market today to a $350 billion market in 10 years, driven by apps, driven by grocery stores offering delivery. So think about all of those trips in the world uh, being serviced by, again, a, a platform that can park three to a space. So in terms of delivery, being able to park in tiny parking spaces to actually make your delivery saves you time, saves the delivery operator money. Uh, getting across town faster saves time and money and then operating costs of a super efficient vehicle that's a low cost platform also hits the bottom line. Uh, so uh, we think the eventual total addressable market is, is everything. Um, but to, to get started, you know, we're, we're starting with a consumer product uh, that is super fun to drive that solves a need for some portion of the driving public. Uh, if you think about just the, you know, the motorcycle market in the U.S. is like two or three percent, it's tiny, of the overall vehicle market. What is that next circle out in the market space uh, that would be people who would be attracted to being in the world versus you know, being inside of a, a vehicle, who are attracted to being much, much more efficient in terms of how they get around, don't want to look for parking all the time, and find themselves typically driving alone. So, there's, there's a, our, our go-to-market is focused around vacation rental. That is, we're gonna open up rental outlets in key destination markets where you would, uh, you know, islands or sunny places or Las Vegas or Florida, you know, you can sort of think of the Sun Belt pe where people go on vacation and wanna do fun stuff. Um, that's how people are going to initially experience the vehicle. Uh, but ultimately we see the market potential as being potentially very transform transformative. 
and maybe talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you guys have a very unique rental model where instead of setting up stores to just sell the cars, the stores, they, they sell them, I believe, but they're also rental things. Like you're saying, where if it's a tourist and I want to go experience this city, I can rent an FUV. Um, and then I'm also like basically being marketed your product at the same time. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the rental outlets don't actually don't do any sales of the vehicle itself. All the sales of the vehicle are online delivered directly to your driveway or, or you pick it up at a, a point of your choosing. Um, you, you can sort of think of it as like as, as a Hertz model. If Hertz owned its own factory and unique production vehicle that it was exclusively running out at its own outlets and its franchised outlets. So instead of franchising sales, we're actually planning to franchise rentals uh, like, like a Hertz. Plan on those to actually make money. Like this is planning to be, or do you want to run these at break even just to do marketing or how do you, is, is no, this actually no, like we, a profitable business? We, we see our in-market experience centers as being pro potentially quite profitable and uh, additive to our margins versus a, a cost sink forever forward. Love it. That's so cool. And so just if I was being sort of like stubborn and thinking of like, okay, if it's only golf carts and like vacation rental cars uh, or like ATVs, I guess, or I don't know, like, do, well, do you have any market size numbers on like annual sales of those vehicles? Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about Polaris, Polaris sells 300,000 plus ATVs in North America every year. Harley sells 275, 250,000 motorcycles worldwide. Um, uh, a, a, a modestly successful golf cart, which, and again, a golf cart is l very limited in terms of the number of roads that it can go on. Uh, it, it won't get you around your whole community because you can't get on the higher speed expressways. The Arkimoto as a motorcycle can go on all of the roads. Um, so, but a, but a, a very modestly successful golf cart is 10,000 plus units a year. And 10,000 units a year of an Arkimoto actually builds a, a very successful business. 200, 200 million plus in revenue. And, and that's kind of the, the math I've been doing for my investor side of the company is like, you guys have about 4,000 pre-orders now, which have been climbing nicely, even despite, you know, you guys have had a, a couple delays to actually, you wanted to get the product right before bringing it to market. So that yep. kind of caused delays. Even in the wake of that, the reservations have grown at a rapid clip. Honestly, I've been pretty impressed. And they represent only 4,000 or, or 4,000. It's a lot, but I'm saying only 4,000 in terms of that 10,000 sold of just a golf cart or 100,000 of just a motorcycle. But that 4,000, 70 million in revenue, your company is only worth like 50 or 60 million right now uh, trading on that. So it's like less than one times. So that's sort of the investment case that gets me excited is like, even if you guys are only, you know, get like to be a niche product, that's still a huge business success story in a lot of ways. That makes me feel more comfortable as an investor of, I believe in the transformative future, but it's like, you don't even need to really get there for this to be a very, very successful company in some ways, or at least get your first taste of success. Yeah. And if you look at, at the analysts who, who've who cover us at this point, whether it's some value us based on uh, a, a multiple on pre-order uh, pre-order anticipated revenue and others look at us uh, on the basis of discounted future cash flows from a, a modest growth scenario, uh, both end up looking, looking good. So um, e even if you, if, you, if you don't buy the notion that our market is absolutely everyone and we're going to take over the entire world, um, just simply building a, a good niche product that's a high quality product that people so far, the responses to the drive, uh, both from our early customers and our early media reviews have been incredibly positive. Um, so, so if you just take the niche case scenario, 
there's still the potential to build uh, a very successful business there. And you know what I love about Arkimoto is I can see in your face and your voice, you're like bummed about the niche scenario, even though that creates a bigger company because that's not the mission. And that's, I really, really respect that. Well, the reason, yeah, the reason we're doing this is because the, the world is in a, a very perilous situation right now when it comes to carbon emissions and the future of climate change. I, I, th th there's, there's zero uh, debate about that in the serious scientific community is that we're in real trouble. And so the, the point of Arkimoto is to make a meaningful change in that equation. And so, yeah, it's cool to build a, a good, you know, multi-hundred million dollar company cranking out product, uh, but we, set, we, we certainly have aspirations that are, that are bigger than that in terms of impact. And you guys have laid out a little bit of those plans. Um, you're actually in Oregon, in Eugene, at the first factory you guys have built, which in, you know, the machine that makes the machine, in many ways, is its own product that you guys are planning to expand. So yes. let's t take the flip side and say, okay, like, you guys are ready to go all the way. You're crushing it. Demand is off the charts. How do you guys start to really expand and do what you're saying and move that needle? Well, we, we've built the factory, as, and if you... So if you, if you look at like our factory tour video, and I think we're going to provide you some of the footage of, of the tour around the factory, it's, it is, it's, it's based on functional units. So we have a, a, a vertically integrated metals fabrication facility, the, the tube, laser, tube and sheet laser that can cut about 28,000 vehicles worth of metal every year, uh, robotic uh, welding and CNC forming of metal. That's all part of the part making process. And then the assembly line right behind us is just a simple U. It's incredibly capital efficient, uh, and it's a U that we can just simply replicate over and over and over again. So the, the longer term picture of an Arkimoto uh, assembly factory would include uh, material handling, uh, quality assurance, and then assembly. And then we would, it, you know, so, so it, it, right now we're in sort of a vertical integration mode to get up and running with our custom pieces and parts. Once we are at a, a scale of production, then it, at some point it's going to make sense to sort of uh, you know, you know, deintegrate and go with a much more um, just assembly focused and then using high volume manufacturers for all the parts. So that, that all sounds really exciting, but um, to be clear, even just the factory in Eugene has a pretty big capacity itself, right? Can you talk a little bit about the capacity of where, where you are, the AMP? Yeah, we believe that our first Arkimoto manufacturing plant can do 10,000 units a year uh, out the door. So that, that which is that, like hundreds of million in revenue. Yeah, we're, we're anticipating a, a couple hundred million in revenue uh, generation capability from this facility here. And this is for for what we believe will be a total capex in of, of under $10 million. So now you guys are at this amazing moment of like actually starting the production, um, getting that offline. So maybe we can dive into a little bit more about what that looks like. And I know you guys have all these pre-orders for uh, customers, but you're also signing agreements with like GoCar, Solmar, Vita, um, basically teaming up with like getting some fleet orders, it sounds like. So talking about how you're fulfilling um, all this early demand. Well, so so our, our goal in the next in the next several months, actually into the next year, is just going to be to deliver a very robust product to our early adopter customers. Some of those will go into fleets. Most will actually go to individuals who've been on our pre-order list now for a very long time. Um, and then as we, as we make sure that our early vehicles are performing properly on the road, then we will begin to step up production uh, so we're at one a day right now. We do a four-day week. We're, we'll be at two a day, we believe, by the end of October, and then shooting for five a day by the end of the year. 
And within 12 to 18 months of production start, we want to be at 200 a week, which is basically 50 a day. Uh, and that's 200 a week is that 10,000 a year. That, that's, our, that's our near term watermark for, for sort of that builds a successful, profitable operation. Uh, we believe then that is uh, scalable, scalable up from there depending on the market demand that we're able to generate. So we believe that if we go out and we have a, a strong product offering in the beginning, that it's gonna, you know, you're gonna see it in your neighborhood and then neighbors will say, oh, hey, that looks really cool. Do you like it? Oh, I love it. Well, I wanna get one too. And we know that, 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 that Tesla had that very same experience where they would go into a neighborhood and then all of a sudden they'd sell three more Teslas uh, because the people who bought their early vehicles just love them. Uh, and we wanna have that same, we want our customers to have that same response. And so um, I kind of, I have to ask sort of like a boneheaded, boring question about the financing. So um, Arkimoto, on one hand, you guys have been very, like you have personally put a ton of money into the company and are extremely invested as like the largest shareholder, I believe. So um, Arkimoto, you guys have kind of been doing small, consistent funding rounds, like, you know, to fund the company with insiders. So maybe can you talk a little bit about your funding strategy for the company, why you chose that? Well, we've, we've always... Uh, we've always kept funding coming to sort of like the next major milestone. Uh, and it's, it's, we have been fortunate to find investors along the way who have believed in the mission and believed in the potential for the product and have been willing to support it to that next level. Uh, and that, that has continued to be true since the inception of the company. I think what we have, what we have just crossed is um, perhaps our, our most significant de-risk of the company to date, which is actually getting a product to the point of production through testing, through compliance, and actually now into the hands of our first customers. Um, obviously, as we, as we look to scale production, there's going to need to be a, a you know, substantially more capital going into expanding production facilities, going into overseas markets. Um, but the goal right now is to, is to really prove, one, one, we're going to get our first rental operations up and running. Uh, so we'll have the experience of that kind of the full financial model of the company and make sure that, that all of those bits and pieces work. Uh, and at the same time, as, as we go forward in the next, uh, in the next couple of quarters, uh, we're going to be pushing to actually increase our order book and start to deliver, start to develop orders for our follow-on products uh, that will go into production in 2020. And that, we believe, will justify uh, the, the, the expenditures that would be necessary to actually bring that scale of production up and online. Really cool. And this is just kind of a idea out of left field, but the whole Rivian Amazon news, I think is really interesting where Rivian, Rivian's gone the path of having some of these much bigger companies pour in a ton of money, but essentially then cater their product development to that company. So is that something I'm thinking like Uber Eats comes in and says like, or Uber comes in and says like, we want to invest you know, 30 million and we want you to buy 10,000. Like to me, that seems like sort of a no brainer for eats or for rides or so I'm curious, you know, is that something you've thought about or what's your kind of stance on that? Yeah. And, and actually a lot of those, a lot of conversations of that type of that nature have simply been waiting on having production vehicles on the road uh, that prospective companies can try out and drive around. Uh, we believe that there is a strong case for the Arkhamoto platform for delivery, that's what the Deliverator is all about. Uh, for personal transportation, that's what the FEV is all about. Uh, we think it is the right platform for autonomous driving. So if you consider rideshare, that 85% of rideshare uh, is just one passenger, 
to me, it makes no sense that the vision of autonomy would be a seven passenger vehicle that is, you know, again, it's, we, we, our goal is to really right size the footprint of daily transportation. And if 85% of the trips just have one person, uh, then a, 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 a 5,000 pound van that's just carrying one person around autonomously doesn't really solve the problem in the way that we think is most efficient. And I honestly feel a little bit bummed because I feel like Arkimoto hasn't had a fair shake and that you guys have actually been putting up the work and are actually at the start of production while all these other EV companies at huge valuations have just had a billion dollars to build one concept car and are still years away from starting production, yet they're being valued at billions of dollars. Arkimoto is here valued at 50 million. And is, if they're building one a day, you guys are already at a five, seven million revenue run rate like and scaling and the product exists and I've driven it. I'm not allowed to drive the Rivian. I love Rivian. I don't want to knock that, but you know what I mean? Like I can't, I don't think, I don't even know if they let Bezos drive it before he put in it's 500 million, you know? But so, um, yeah, so I really want to just give you guys props and that's kind of, you know, on an investment case, I've been waiting for that to change. Um, you know, I, on one hand, I'm like, okay, a $60 million company for no revenue. They're about to launch production. It's maybe a low margin vehicle business. Maybe this kind of makes sense. But on the flip side, I'm like, the excitement for this electric space, the excitement in the transportation space, the opportunity here is being recognized at almost every other startup that's way further behind than you guys. You know, I don't know. Uh, probably, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with anything that you just said, um, but I, and I will say thank you for helping tell our story. We are a scrappy Oregon startup company uh, and Oregon companies have a, a, a long history of doing, um, I think, good things on, on uh, slim budgets out of necessity. But as we, as we actually go into the market and as we actually begin to deliver, and, and I think you, you can see this in some of our very recent press, um, is just that I, I think we're, we're starting to change that perception in a very meaningful way. Uh, and so my, my hope would be that that is reflected in uh, our, our ability to attract uh, you know, the, the financing down the road that will be necessary to really make this thing go huge. Totally. And yeah, huge fan. And I'm really, really proud to be a shareholder and, and impressed with the progress. So I can't wait to see you guys expand production. And I think my brain is like, I was just covering Airbnb in a video and I'm like, man, like Airbnb should have a thing where like you get an Arkimoto with your Airbnb the second you get there on vacation. Like there's so many different ways this can go. So we've actually, we've had a number of, a number of people who have Airbnb say that they're getting an Arkimoto for their Airbnbs actually. There you go. So cool. So thank you so much for taking the time and, and coming on, Mark. I know you guys are super busy doing the production. Any, any last thing you want to say about the hyper changers or, or shout outs? You know, keep hyper in the change. Let's do this. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Definitely. So arkimoto.com. I'll put links. I'll put uh, the Twitter handle. Follow Mark on Twitter too. Um, definitely. And, and we'll stay in touch. Uh, can't wait to have you on the show again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Gally. Get, we got to get you in the driver's seat of the retail one. It's, it, it's, a, it's a big jump from what you, uh, what you drove last. I can't wait. All right. Peace out. Take it easy.